Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino at chumbacasino.com. Choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Chapter Thirteen, Part One of the Cruise of the Esmeralda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marty on the Central Coast of California. The Cruise of the Esmeralda by Harry Collingwood. Chapter Thirteen, Part One. I had been in this unpleasant plight for about three weeks during which the remainder of the cargo had been discharged, the ship ballasted down to her very best sailing trim, and everything made ready for my trip to the Pacific. When one day, as I was wandering aimlessly about the streets, I encountered Sir Edgar and Lady Desmond, who, after a much longer sojourn up-country than they had intended, had returned to Sydney, and were beginning to think seriously of finding their way back to England. They were palpably and unfeignedly delighted to see me again, although they of course sympathized with me in my misfortune, and insisted upon my dining with them that evening, and afterwards accompanying them to the theater. I suppose that they saw I needed a little cheering up, and I got it, too, for they were more than kind. Their genial frankness of behavior to me was more that of a brother and a sister than of mere acquaintances or even of the usual run of friends, and when I left them next morning after breakfast, for they insisted on my acceptance of their hospitality for the night, I felt more cheerful than I had done since the desertion of my crew. As I shook hands with Sir Edgar on the hotel steps, he said, Now, St. Ledger, we are in no hurry to start for a month or two, you know, and we're all quite as eager as ever we were to see the end of this adventure of yours, so if you should succeed in scraping together a crew within, say, the next two months, you may reckon upon us as passengers again, that is, if you would care to have us. You are more than kind, Sir Edgar, said I, and I should be delighted to have you, but you appear to have forgotten that my plans include another visit to China before I point the bark's nose for home even should I succeed in securing the treasure. That does not matter a bit, my dear fellow, he laughed. As I have already told you, we are in no hurry whatever, and, to tell you the truth, Lady Emily seems to enjoy so much better health when at sea than she does when on shore, that I should welcome any excuse plausible enough to keep her on shipboard for two or three months longer. So if you should succeed in picking up a new crew, let me know at once." It really seemed as though the reappearance of the Desmonds upon the scene had brought good fortune to me. For when I reached the ship and went on board, 
Forbes met me at the gangway with quite an unwanted expression of delight upon his face and said, I'm glad you have come on board so early, sir, for I have actually had a gang of eleven men alongside who say they are looking for berths. Eleven men looking for berths, I ejaculated, scarcely crediting my ears. Where are they? They went off uptown again, unfortunately, when I told them you were not on board replied Forbes, but I have the address of the boarding-house at which they were staying, and I told them I would let them know when you could see them. My dear fellow, I exclaimed, be off at once and say that I shall be on board for the remainder of the day, and can see them at any time, or, or stay. Perhaps I had better look in upon them myself. I can manage to drop in upon them in a casual sort of way that will have less appearance of eagerness and anxiety than would sending especially for them. What did they look like? Well, admitted Forbes, they looked as rowdy as a set of ruffians as I ever wished to set eyes on. But their manners and mode of speaking were those of fairly decent, respectable men. They said that they had been at the gold fields for the last seven months, and had scarcely made enough to keep themselves. They were consequently tired of their shore life, and, and had determined to go to sea again if they could meet with a ship and officers to their liking. They were mightily taken with the bark as of course any man who knew a ship from a washing tub would be, swore she was the sweetest-looking craft in the harbor. And when I mentioned your name, said they had heard of you and wouldn't wish to go to sea under a better man. Altogether, if they are only in earnest as to their desire to go to sea again, I do not think you should find much difficulty in securing them, sir. Give me their address, said I, and I will be off after them at once. This is not a time for fencing and feigning indifference. The fellows know as well as you or I do what a haul they will prove to the man who is lucky enough to secure them, so I will not run any risk of losing them by pretending otherwise. If I can persuade them to ship, I will sail tomorrow, short-handed though we will be. I can take the starboard watch myself, and for the rest, we shall just have to keep an extra sharp eye upon the barometer and the weather, and be careful to snug down if need be in good time until we again reach China, when we shall probably be able to get another man or two. So saying, I took the address from Forbes, and forthwith started in search of the men. I found them at length, after a somewhat tedious quest, in a most disreputable-looking boarding-house, situated in the most disreputable part of the town, and I am bound to admit that my first impression of the men was that their appearance was in perfect accord with their surroundings. They most undoubtedly were, as Forbes had said, as rowdy-looking a set of ruffians as one would care to meet. Tough, sinewy desperados, swarthy as mulattoes by long exposure to the fierce southern sun, with long, dense, tangled thatches of hair mingling with a thick, neglected growth of beard and whisker that permitted scarcely a feature, save the nose and the eyes, to be seen. Clad in the remains of the inevitable flannel shirt, cord trousers and knee boots with belts about their waists in which each man carried his revolver and a formidable bowie knife the whole topped off with a soft broad-brimmed battered felt hat dashed on to the head in a fashion eloquently suggestive of the utmost extreme of recklessness i think i never saw a party of men who under ordinary circumstances i would have been less willing to ship as a crew than these. Yet, when I spoke to them, they answered me respectfully, 
and there was scarcely more than the merest tinge of that defiant independence of manner that their appearance had prepared me to expect. They told me, as they had told Forbes, that they had been working for something like seven months at the gold fields, and had met with so little success that they were now almost penniless, a result which they attributed to their lack of experience as miners. One of the party remarked grimly that the life of a miner was even worse than that of a sailor, inasmuch as that with an equal amount of exposure and harder work. It was no unusual thing for them to be reduced to starvation rations. Seven months' experience of this kind, they said, had satisfied them that they were never intended for gold miners, and that they had accordingly left the fields in a body and tramped to Sydney, determined to revert to their original occupation of seamen, and agreeing to ship together for home in the first craft that took their fancy. But, said I, I am not going directly to England. I am bound to the Pacific for a cargo of sandalwood, and thence to China, before seeking a freight to England. Oh, well, said the fellow who had constituted himself the spokesman of the party. That won't make any difference. The voyage will be so much the longer, and we shall have more money to take up at the end of it. The chief thing with us is to find a comfortable ship and a good skipper, and we're of opinion that if we ship with you, we shall have both. Ain't it so, mate? Aye, aye, judge. That's so, my bully. Those are sentiments. Right you are, as usual. In these and similar terse sentences, the men confirmed the remarks of their companion. The question of wages was then raised, in respect of which I found their demands far more moderate than I had dared to hope, namely, five pounds, ten per month for the seaman and the man who undertook to perform the duties of steward, and six pounds, ten per month, for the cook, each man to receive an advance of two months' wages upon signing articles. To this I agreed without demur, and then, anxious to strike while the iron appeared to be hot, I suggested that they sign articles forthwith. A short consultation among themselves followed this proposal, at the end of which they declared themselves quite willing, but stipulated that they should have twenty-four hours clear after signing in which to provide themselves with an outfit for the voyage. To this I also assented, and we then separated they to make their way to the shipping office, and I to hurry down to the bark for the necessary papers and cash prior to joining them there. It was just noon when the work of signing the articles and paying the advances having been completed, I jumped into a cab to drive to the hotel at which the Desmonds were staying, to acquaint those good people with my latest stroke of luck. They were out, however, as I felt morally certain that they would be. So I left a note for Sir Edgar, and then set about the transaction of such small items of business as were necessary prior to going to sea. This, however, amounted to very little, as I had practically completed all my preparations long before, so by five o'clock in the evening I had cleared everything off my hands, and was once more alongside the ship. Here I found a note from Sir Edgar Desmond awaiting me, in which he acknowledged the receipt of my own epistle and enjoined me to dine with them without fail that evening. This I did, and the upshot of it all was that they decided to complete the trip with me, despite the poor account I felt constrained 